Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Atlanta. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Jerry? <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> good old Jerry. <laughs> good old Jerry. I'm never going to forget. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well also. What's going on in that kitchen of yours? Oh, you know, the usual a little baking here, a little baking there. Um, although, I don't know if you can call ice cream baking. It's always funny. I feel like a lot of things follow under the baking umbrella, even when you don't turn your oven on. But that's okay. Fine, whatever. I've been making ice cream and I used our guest today, one of her recipes to make some black toasted black sesame ice cream. How was that? It was fantastic. Like I was really, really excited about the flavor, but I have to say the texture was something that made me think, yes, we're really on to something like the first batch of ice cream I made. I liked it was good. Um, but it, it just, it wasn't perfect. And then this batch, I'm like, okay, like this is for real. I told my husband, I'm going to make the ice cream for my daughter's birthday party. Like I feel that good about it. It was really delicious. So when I think of sesame, I think of tahini. Is it kind of that same flavor profile or how would you describe black sesame? That's a great question. So I'm curious to do like just with actual seeds, just chew them in my mouth side by side to see the difference. I, it could be in my head, you know, this is pure in my opinion, not science, but I felt like the black sesame um, tastes a little more nutty than the sesame that's in tahini, like the normal sesame seeds. And then I also had this thought, I'm kind of curious why we haven't seen any black tahini. That's a good idea. Right? Wouldn't that be interesting to see? I just feel like, I don't know, we see all the activated charcoal these days. And like, it'd be kind of cool to see like black hummus, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I would. Oh, gosh. Maybe we have a new product on our hands. Black hummus (laughs) would be so cool. Flower hour black hummus coming at you. So, yeah, it was great. (laughs) But one thing I noticed, and I'm curious because I know you've made ice cream before, Um, the ratio of heavy whipping cream to milk, and I used whole milk, was two to one, two heavy whipping cream to one uh, whole milk. And the first recipe I made was like the opposite. It had more milk and less cream. And I liked the texture so much this time. Is that like a normal thing? Does that sound? Yeah. And I'm what I'm thinking is that, well, fat freezes in a different way than water does and milk has more water in it than cream so i think that makes sense that you're going to get a better texture with fattier dairy products yeah so now i'm curious to try like what happens if you do all heavy whipping cream is it just way too fatty mcfatty like or (laughs) or like i don't know i want to try all these different things but anyway her recipe was delicious and then the other thing that i made of um our guest today, which is pastry with Jen was her ruffled milk tart, which was, it's very beautiful. And when you look at it, you think this is going to be very hard. It looks like a rose. 
Um, it's very delicate. It's made with phyllo dough, but you use store-bought phyllo. And then the custard that you make, other than tempering the eggs, you don't even cook it to a thickness because it's all baked in the oven. So, and I feel like that's the touchy part of the custard of like, how thick do you cook it? Right. And you don't even have to worry about that. And the phyllo, the beauty is like the more destroyed it gets, almost the more rose-like it looks. So next time I'm going to let my kids join in. It was easy and super delicious. What a great idea. And I remember when she first posted that, I think months ago, maybe sometime last year, and I was obsessed with how beautiful it was. And now I have to make it. After hearing what you said, I definitely have to make it. You really must. I mean, I made it, we cut it up, I ate a slice, and then I went back for a second slice and it was gone. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> it, it was like that delicious. It just got scarfed up really fast. So maybe you should make two even. I don't know, but we're a hungry bunch. So that's <laughs> probably enough. What have you been making? What's going on in your kitchen? Hmm. So as you know, I'm in the midst of preparing my proposal for my book and I just launched all of the recipes for my testers. I, on social media, asked for volunteers to help me test recipes. And I had over a 100 volunteers, which was incredibly inspiring. I'm just so thankful and I can't believe it. So everyone's got a recipe and it's been fun to start to see them trickling in. But there's one recipe that I haven't sent out and that's for pastéis de nata or Portuguese custard tarts. Because the puff pastry that lines the tins is driving me crazy. Every time I line the tin, they shrink completely and then the custard overflows and it's a a disaster. And it's the kind of thing that rattles my baking confidence at its core. And I hate that feeling. So I haven't given up and I've come up with some workarounds, but it's hard because I was, as you all know, I was just in Portugal and I went to the Lisbon cooking school and made them there and um, they worked perfectly. And then I did the same techniques here at home and it's not working. So I know that a lot of it has to do with the oven and I don't have a fancy oven at all. It's seriously the the bottom of the barrel um, oven you can have at home, but I've learned to love it and work with it. So yeah, if any of you have some pastéis de nata or egg custard tart recipe um, suggestions, not recipe suggestions, technique suggestions for getting that pastry not to shrink, send them my way. Amanda and I had talked about it yesterday and we've you know brainstormed some good things and and I've, I feel like I've gotten a workaround, but I would love to hear what other people have done. I think it's cool that your oven is a very normal oven too, because you know, it wouldn't give me much confidence as a cookbook buyer. And, you know, this is for a cookbook. People are going to buy it. If you had this super perfect oven that maybe then I make it and the recipe flops. So I don't think that's a problem. I think that's, it's good and it's normal. So I like, yeah, thank you. That's, that's a good perspective. No, it's good that I figured out in this awful oven. (laughs) You're just keeping it real in Sacramento, which is awesome. Um, so I'm curious because when we talked, we talked about like if you chilled after you shaved mm-hmm. them, chill, chilling it longer. Like, have you done more tests since we talked? Yes, I have. So the chilling definitely makes a difference. But and what you suggested, freezing made a big difference. So that helped a lot. And then also 
I put them lower down in my oven. So I had them quite up high because I really was concerned about getting the characteristic black spots. Um, But I instead, now that I'm really focusing on the pastry, I put them down lower. And I think that heat there is a bit more of the right kind of heat. Um, And I also put, um, I doubled the baking sheets. I think that sort of insulated the pastry so that it could, cook a little more gently instead of the heat kind of going at it really quickly and it shrinking. It kind of gives it a moment for it to set. So that's something I tried. And the other thing is, so these are made by rolling puff pastry into a log and then you cut slices of the log. And when you look at it, it looks like a spiral and you put that spiral in the tin and then you stretch this, the spiral up the sides of the tin or a cupcake pan or a mini muffin pan. And so I just made my my log much thicker so it's almost the diameter of the tin and then but i cut it really thin so you can still get a really beautiful thin pastry it's just that the diameter is already almost the size of the tin so then it wouldn't want to shrink back to something smaller so those are my workarounds at the moment it sounds like you're figuring it out and then did you still get the blacks or the not black but the darkened spots on the custard at the end, like, do you move it up and broil it or what do you do? Yeah, I haven't, I have, I've sort of just been prioritizing the, the pastry and I got a little bit of caramelization last night. Um, but yeah, I might try moving them up in the oven. I haven't tried broiling, but I definitely could. Um, I was reading someone's article about them last night and they were a bit obsessive about them as well, which I was super thankful for. And they said without the really hot commercial ovens like they use in Portugal, um, it's pretty much, it's really, really hard to get the black spots. And he's like, I just say, forget the spots, go for really good pastry and just know that that's achievable best in a bakery. I think that's reasonable and very good advice too, because I'd certainly just from an eating perspective and that's where all pastries are headed is to be eaten, but you know, you'd rather have a really delicious pastry versus like some kind of arbitrary aesthetic that, you know, that's nice to have. Um, I don't know. It sounds very interesting. This insulated pan idea, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I feel like if it got really hot, really fast, that would be better. Like it would, it would make it set. So it's counterintuitive for me, but it's very interesting. I'm sure you've tested it both ways. So I don't know. I'll also, the other issue was, as I was trying to wait for the custard to cook, oftentimes, even when the pastry didn't shrink, it burnt as well. Ah, uh, okay. I have that to say, pesce sonata is, getting them right is so similar to how I felt when trying to perfect macarons. It's a very simple recipe with ingredients, but the techniques and the way you bake them has to be dead on. And the balance of understanding the temperature of your oven, how it bakes, the equipment you're using, the pans you're using, the temperatures all has to be right on. And this is why most people in Portugal, I mean, almost no one makes them at home because they're at every pastry shop and they're very affordable. Um, so it's, yeah, I think that's something that I'm just going to have to realize that for a home baker, these just won't be quite the same as having them in their home country. And that's okay. And that's okay. They'll still be super delicious and a fun experience to make, I think. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) 
It's interesting to think about like the simple bakes. I mean, simple. I'm putting that in air quotes for anybody listening, but like a macaron, you look at it and it's maddeningly simple. You know, it's a, it's a meringue and then you (laughs) fold it with a few other things and you pipe it and you bake it. And there's really like, there's like three ingredients. It's not even very many ingredients. And I feel like I used to look at recipes and it's like, oh, this only has like two or three ingredients. That's great. It's going to be easy. And then I would see things with maybe 20 ingredients and think it was going to be super hard. I actually think sometimes it's the opposite. I think the things with a lot of ingredients, you almost have more room to play and more room in that case to hide. Whereas with these, it's it's simple, again, in air quotes, but maddening because one little thing is off when you only have two or three, four ingredients, one little thing is off and it's, it's off and there, you can't hide it with anything else. So it's so (laughs) true. (laughs) Unless you get the powdered sugar out and you just start rating. (laughs) And it'll be okay. So yeah. Well, thank you for working on this recipe because when it is finished, I know it's going to be super special and it'll be one of your many gifts to us in your cookbook. Oh, that means a lot. Well, fingers crossed. You got it, sir. Yes, ma'am. All right. So on to our guest, right? So excited. Okay. So pastry with Jen Tell me a little bit about your experience with Pastry with Jen. So I got to meet Pastry with Jen. I've been following her for a while since we were on the show, actually. Um, she reached out to me and was, you know, give, gave me a good job over the over the Instagram, which was really sweet. That's and so, so sweet. I was at a, last month at a um, bake from scratch or the bake feed break bake. Oh, this is a lot of baking. This is hard to say. Okay. It was a bake from scratch, the bake feed, bake like a Brit tour in San Francisco. And we were cooking with Ed Kimber and Brian Hart Hoffman at the San Francisco cooking school. And I looked over and I'm like, that's pastry with Jen. And it's another one of those moments where I can't just say Jen. Her name is pastry with Jen. Just like. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Philip from Southern Fatty is just Southern Fatty. It's just, those are their names. So I'm like, are you pastry with Jen? She's like, yes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm Jeremiah. And I was like, I love, I love everything you're up to. And so I'm so excited to get to finally talk to her and learn about all that she's up to in San Francisco. It's one of my favorite food cities and I'd love to see it through her eyes as well. All right, so let's get Jen Yi. She's the social media manager for Williams Sonoma. And like we said, she's at Pastry with Jen on Instagram. And I just can't wait to meet her. Jen, welcome to Flower Hour. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to chat with you guys. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for being on today. I'm excited to meet you and get to know you a little bit more. Yeah. So Amanda and I just finished talking about what we've been baking this week. And I wanted to ask you what you've been up to in your kitchen in San Francisco. I just made um, Allison Roman's chocolate chunk shortbread cookies, which everybody's been making right now. Um, So I finally made them. They're so good. Um, It's weird because... When people think, oh, chocolate chip cookies, they want them a certain way. But then I was like, wait, that's not what this is. This is a shortbread cookie. So they're different and you kind of have to treat them differently because you know how everyone's like, team crispy, chewy, (laughs) soft. Uh, And this kind of is its own thing. 
that mm-hmm. I I didn't realize until like somebody actually made them and I ate them and I was like, wow, these are really good. Um, so it's like, you've got those chunks of chocolate and then the edges because they're, the log is rolled in Demerara sugar. It's really crunchy. And then you've got that flake salt on top, which makes it really tasty. These are so delicious. Yeah. Have you guys made them yet? No. I haven't. So I'm kind of naughty. Like whenever I see a lot of things being made, like, like if there's something like the pan banging chocolate chip cookies also, (laughs) I really, really, really want to make them. But then it's like the Twilight trilogy. Remember that movie? The the Twilight movies, everybody was watching it. I still haven't watched it. It's like, I just go the other way, but deep in my heart, I really want to make them. (laughs) That was my reaction too. I was thinking, okay, everybody's making them. You know what? Maybe I don't really need to make them, but then I ate them and that's what made me change my mind. (laughs) Yeah. You got sucked in. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday I ate eight of them. So (laughs) it's, it's a good recipe. (laughs) So I was watching your stories about them. And will you share some of the tips that you picked up from making them? You know what? I Maybe it was beginner's luck for me because I didn't have any trouble. But by doing my stories, I did get quite a few comments about the technique. Um, the first, the most common question I got was how my dough was really crumbly Um, and I think, and I thought they meant when they were mixing the dough, which that's, that's possible. And there's a part where there's not that many ingredients as a shortbread cookie. Um, so when it says to slowly add the flour, I make sure to add it. I added it in maybe three incorporations and made sure that each one was fully incorporated before I added the next Yes, you don't want to overmix your dough, but you also want to make sure that everything's fully incorporated so you don't end up with a mealy dough that you're trying to force together into a log. Mine was really easy. The other part about being crumbly is when the log is chilled and you want to slice into it. People said that theirs were falling apart. I did have some cookies that did fall apart. And then I just tested a couple things. One, I started with a serrated knife, but I thought that that actually made the cookies break apart more. It wasn't as easy to cut through the chocolate. So I used a really, really sharp chef's knife and that was way easier, a lot cleaner cut. Um, And then also just maybe slicing it a little bit thicker um, to prevent them from breaking apart. So those are probably my best tips with that recipe. I love it. Yeah, I think those are great. I've had trouble myself with slice and bake cookies before with that cut. And I always go for a serrated knife because in my mind that makes sense. So I'm going to try the chef knife. Interesting. Okay. I don't do a ton of slice and bake. But with these having those chunks in it, it was hard to cut through the chunks. So. Yeah. The cookie I'm thinking of had, it was a pistachio shortbread and the same. It's like when the serrated knife hit the pistachios, I felt mm-hmm. like then the whole cookie just started to fall to bits. So, or, or the pistachios would come out. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. So great tip. I love it. Actually a lot of good tips. And Oh, the other one in your stories, you shared about rolling the log a little bit as you cut it. So you don't end up with that really flat side. I thought that was smart as well. Like cut, roll, cut, roll, cut, roll. Um, keep watching it like, okay, it's in the fridge for a little bit. Take it back out, roll it again. Another friend told me, I love that everyone's just telling 
me tips <laughs> for the second time, <laughs> um, putting it in wax and kind of getting it to kind of just molding it into what you want it to be. Um, to really get it to be round. I didn't find that when I was cutting them that the dough was smashing down in any way. It was so firm. And some people said just to freeze it, which is also a great tip. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know what? If they're not perfectly round, they're still going to taste good. <laughs> good point. So true. Um, okay, so let's get into it. I've been so curious. Whenever I see somebody who's a baker, I like to know where it all started. So for you, when did baking become a passion or, or like become a bigger part of your life? It wasn't one of those things where when I was five, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I want to be a baker one day. Um, I, I think it was just there were little things that I did throughout my life with baking. And honestly, it wasn't until like after college did I really feel like this is something I want to pursue. I just kept wanting to do more of it. And then I ended up doing it. Um, so, I mean, when I was a kid, I, I was using Funfetti box cake mix and making bun cakes all the time. And that to me was what baking was. Um, it wasn't really until maybe high school and I was watching food network and, um, there were two chefs that I watched that really kind of made me feel like, wow, this is what pastry really is and could be. Um, I don't know if you guys know these shows, but Gail Gand, um, pastry chef from Chicago, the show was called sweet dreams. And yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I watched that show all the time. She was really good about just like showing you the basic techniques about baking everything. Um, so she was one of my first kind of baking heroes. And the other one was Jacques Therese. Um, he's now, he's known as Mr. Chocolate. He obviously, he has shops in New York, but he had two shows. One was called pa Passion for Pastry. And the other one was, I think Chocolate was Jacques Therese. And he, he did not hold back at all. He was doing sugar pooling and he had tempering boxes and spray guns and that was really eye-opening for me. And from there, I was just kind of, I became like a pastry nerd. Um, so I kind of dabbled here and there. And then um, after I graduated college, I actually had a job in sales and marketing. And I had a lot of clients and I thought, you know, this would be really fun if I got to work with clients that I really cared about I mean, not that I didn't care about my existing clients, but like something that tied to what I was already passionate about. I cold called Food Network and at the time Gourmet Magazine. And I just said, I really want to work with you. I love food. And I flew out to New York and had meetings with them. And I think it was after that, I decided I, I need more. Like, I, I, that's, not, that's not what I want this just to end up being. Um... So I left and I started looking into different things that had to do with food and really just doing a lot of informational. I was exploring pastry school. Um, did I want to be a pastry chef, a caterer? What did I want to do? And um, 
at the time I decided that I would go to pastry school, but then the opportunity to work at Williams-Sonoma came up. So I took that instead. And um, at Williams-Sonoma, actually, I started out in inventory. So I was doing a lot of forecasting, financial analysis, um, dealing with purchase orders. And it really helped me to learn the business side and the retail side and with products and everything like that. Um, but I, I still had that thing in the back of my mind thinking, I, I still really want to go to school and I'm either going to do it now or I won't ever do it. So about a year and a half in, I decided I'm going to leave and go to pastry school. Um, and the interesting thing people, when people ask me about school is I didn't go in thinking I would be a pastry chef. I just loved it so much. I I wanted to be really good at it. I just wanted to get the techniques right. And that's the, that was the main reason why I went. Um, so I did that. It was primarily French technique. And um, it was 14 of us girls. And it was so fun. It was probably the, one of the best experiences I've ever had. I mean, just to be surrounded by people who all love baking as much as you do and learning with each other. That was just so fun. And I mean, who doesn't want to eat pastries (laughs) all the time? (laughs) Um, So it was, I feel like just making the decision to do that and was, was such a huge thing for me. Um, And then from there, I just kept, I keep, I kept going. Like they're like, Oh, do you still bake? Because I, I don't want to be a pastry chef, but I still find the time to explore and experiment and share with people on Instagram. And, um, and, and so that's kind of where it went. What a fun story. That was a very I love, fun story. But again, it was, I love, like, I love it. <laughs> it. It didn't, st- it wasn't like an aha moment. I just love it so much that I just try to kept trying to do more. And then somehow it just kind of evolved into what I do today. I just hear the story and you think you're going to hear, I hear a lot of passion and a desire for doing things the right way, which is really cool. But the overriding thing I hear is just straight up guts. Like, oh my gosh, you're so gutsy to call these food channels and be like, I want to work with you. And I think a lot of times people get really stuck that that's a really special thing to hear where sometimes you just have to throw it out there and ask. Like it's, it's highly inspirational. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Well, we know that you spend your day around food lovers and you're at Williams-Sonoma, which is an exciting place to be. But as their social media manager, what does a typical day look like for you? Oh, gosh. Um, No day is ever the same, which I think keeps it really exciting. I Um, love that. Yeah. There's just so much going on. And we get to work with so many great chefs and influencers and um, artisans and getting to tell all these different kinds of stories keeps everything so exciting. Um, So you never really know what's going to happen. I mean, a lot of what I do and I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? Because it's so it's, it's changes so much. I think a lot of what I have to do though is, really working cross-functionally with a lot of different departments because 
me using social media is like a touch point to the customer that's so valuable. So I need to work with, you know, PR and inventory, store operations, buyers, catalog. How does it, how is it appearing in the catalog? And, and the fun thing really is, you know, working with all these different people, we're all food people, which is so great. Like at the end of the day, I just look back and I say, oh my gosh, I had the, the conversations we have at work are not what uh, normal people have. Like I was like, oh my God, I had guacamole four times today. Like that's like normal conversation. Or we would sit there and go, you know what? I want to know, does hummus taste better if the chickpeas have their shells on or no shell? (laughs) And then, and then, people on my team, they would go home and they would test it. And then we spent 20 minutes tasting four batches of hummus and trying to dissect what the differences were. And it was the greatest thing. That's like our job. Um, and, and then also the fact that when we're talking, we'll, we're, we'll talk about people on the first name basis. So we're just sitting around going, Oh, you know, Martha, Jada, Ina, like they're your best friend. But when I do it, like out of context, like out of the food, my food world with other friends are like, wait, who, who's Martha? I was like, you know, Martha Stewart, obviously. (laughs) Um, And he was kind of sucked into this world that I love where everything makes sense. And everyone's always talking about things that you love. And, and that's my job. so I'm very grateful that I am surrounded by all these people that love food. It sounds like heaven. And I have to know, how did the hummus go? Which version did you prefer? I, I eat hummus probably four times a day. <laughs> the interesting thing is there were two things. Um, there were two different recipes. And and then each one of those, they tested chickpeas with shells without. We actually didn't notice a difference with having the shell on or shell off. but there was one recipe with Michael Solmanoff's that was creamier, like way creamier and had more lemon. And that was the one that I loved the most because I love the addition of lemon to brighten things. Um, so that was the one that stood out to me. All right. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there on the lemon and I've made one where you peel the chickpeas and it is tedious as can be. So <laughs> you don't have to do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Thank God. <sighs> yeah. It's a little exhausting. Um, okay. So I have some questions about social media since that's a focus of yours. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people and we get a lot of questions about this too for guests on here. And I thought you'd be a good person to ask sometimes social media just feels really mysterious for people. Um, even though a lot of like most everybody spends a lot of time on there. Do you have any tips, uh, like for individuals, not necessarily for brands? I know that's kind of a different game a little bit, but any tips that you could pass on to our listeners? Yeah, it's so hard because I feel like there's not really a, a correct formula. I mean, there are definitely things and articles that you can read, but I think at the end of the day, overall, if this is something you want to use to tell your story, it has to be fun. It has to feel like you. So I always say to people, especially when they're starting to really find your own voice and that's with 
the type of content you're showing, the style of photography, the way you talk. And I think it can be intimidating at first because you don't know what all of that is. And it can take time. Um, I've been on Instagram for, I can't even remember, four, four years now. And just over time, you start to see a pattern with what you like, how you sound, and what you do. So it could take a year or two, um, but you have to keep doing it in order to figure out what you like and what you're comfortable with. Because at the end of the day, it, it, it is all about you and what you want. So, and you want it to be fun. So you don't want to force yourself to do something a certain way because then it's just not a good experience to keep up with. Um, so I think it's so important to just figure out what your style is and by continuing to keep posting regularly. Um, so that for sure. The other thing is, I think Instagram is known to be a place with really pretty photos and it's perfectly curated, which I get. I, and I love that. Um, so I think the way to really stand out is by telling a little bit about yourself and that doesn't mean you have to post a photo of, your, of yourself if you're not comfortable with that. But through the captions and the story you're telling there, or even through stories, letting us get to know you a little bit better um, will make you more memorable and, and more relatable. Um, and I think that's really important now To in, when there's, it's, there's so much competition, there's so much going on, there's so many users posting great photos. Um, that's definitely that. And I would also say to really engage, um, not only by replying to your comments, but asking questions, um, making it a conversation between you and your audience. You know, if you're working on something, Hey, it's spring. I'm so excited. And I just got this amazing flat of strawberries. What do you guys think I should make? Um, and just creating conversation with the people that are following you. I think that's such a beautiful thing. I love that last tip, especially. It's a yeah. great idea. And very, it's like fun because you get to know, you share yourself, but then you get to know the people that are following you too. Mm -hmm. More of a community feeling than like, I'm not a stage person. So the idea of like a community is a lot more appealing to me than just saying, Hey, look at me. It's very important, you know? Mm -hmm. And I love that you talked about finding your own voice. Cause that's definitely a theme we've had on flower hour with every baker and every artist we've talked to is that's so important when you're, you're um, creating content. Let's talk about your blog. Um, we really like that you showcase your own recipes and sometimes you link recipes that you've made and you provide your notes. What's a recipe that's currently on your your bake list? So I just got back from Charleston and I got to meet Carrie from Callie's Biscuits and I'm obsessed. I need to make her biscuits. Um, so the difference it's so I've never had any biscuits that taste like hers before. Um, and they're just so tender in the middle and they still have that flakiness on the outside and so that's just been on my mind since I've gotten back. Um, yeah, it would probably be that. The other recipe 
just because I like to think about holidays and celebrating them because Easter's coming up. Um, I haven't made this in a while and I can't remember the exact name, but it's the Easter bread where you braid it and then you put the hard boiled eggs in the middle. That's what I want to make too. What is the name of uh, Jeremiah? Do you know the name uh, of this bread? I it's don't. Like, is it the is it a Greek one? Did you yeah, say? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Greek bread. Where yes, you braid it. It could either be uh, just like a log, or you can make it into a wreath, and then you dye hard boiled eggs into like blue or red, and then you kind of stick them into the pockets of where the braids are, and it's really beautiful. You know, I just read that recipe in the new Bake from Scratch uh, cookbook. So it's like, uh, I can see the picture, but I cannot <laughs> think of the name. <laughs> yeah, I can totally see the image. Okay, I'm looking it up because I'm like literally Googling this right now. Okay, and I can see the name and it's not exactly going to help us. It's, uh, <laughs> like, how do I say this? This Just is probably sore fine. Rec- Yes. Soreki, yes. T-S-O-U-R-E-K-I. So it looks like T-Sour Eki. Yeah, so. if I can't pronounce it, I don't think that's going to help me remember it. So yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> yep. So we're just going to go with Easter, Greek Easter bread. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I love all these Easter breads and that come up this time of year. It's It's such a fun time to bake. Yes. Yeah, it feels kind of like the start. I don't know. Like I like the the I like all the different starts of the season baking. Like the start of winter break baking, the start of fall baking, the start of spring baking. So it's kind of like a rejuvenating time. I agree. Uh, personally, so I need to talk to you about your recipes on your blog because I just got an ice cream maker. And so of course, as I'm like plowing through your recipes. Um, those were really jumping at me. Um, and I just wanted to know any ice cream tips. Cause I feel like it's also, we're coming into ice cream season. No, I'm very excited. Um, and it's funny, I haven't made it in a while, but, and usually the, the flavors that I, that get me really excited are pretty unique. Like when I go eat ice cream, everyone always laughs at me. I, I never get vanilla or chocolate. I always, I always have to go. I find the flavor that's just seasonal, um, because I get so excited by like so for spring. I'd want something strawberry or rhubarb or um, something like that. Um, so for me, I would say making sure that, and I can't remember which ice cream owner told me this, but making sure that you have a really flavorful base to begin with, because once you freeze it, the flavors kind of become a little bit more muted. So you want to just make sure you're starting out with a really strong base. Um, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's, that was, that's one thing that's always stuck in my mind and I can't remember who told me, but it was a great tip. Um, The other thing is just knowing that Depending on what consistency you like, do you want your the more egg yolks you use, the richer and more creamy your ice cream will be. So even as you're searching recipes and kind of just trying to look at and figure out what the consistency and texture will be like, just knowing by how many egg yolks are in there will help you. Like I lean more towards richer, creamier, like I love a gelato, <laughs> fattier. So 
um, that if you have fewer egg yolks, it'll be lighter, a bit more milky. Um, so knowing that the other thing is I'm always looking up ways that people keep their ice cream soft and just so that it doesn't have, it's not icy and it's just really smooth and creamy. Um, so like for instance, for fruit base, which I just talked about, um, the, um, adding a little bit of alcohol and I mean like, and less than a teaspoon just to keep it soft. That's really helpful. Um, and then also I think my favorite book that I use, um, is the perfect scoop from David Lebovitz. I don't know if you've seen it, but it is, it's my favorite book. I look at it all the time for inspiration. Um, that's where I, I got my crumb fresh ice cream recipe from. And usually what I'll do is I make that and then I top it with, um, macerated strawberries or, or maybe a little bit of balsamic. That's one of my favorite ways to do it. I'm dying over here. I want that so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I literally just took notes too. I'm like writing down alcohol to fruit, the perfect scoop. Like I'm so new to this. So it's, it's like a whole new world. Um, I'm curious too. So with the egg yolks, Uh are the recipes pretty flexible? So if I'm like, okay, with this flavor, I do want it to have more egg is it pretty safe to add an egg or is it like the ratio is set? Please do not screw it up kind of thing. You know, I'm not too sure about that. For me, it was just more when I was getting inspiration and looking at different recipes, maybe comparing the same recipe one to the other and just seeing how they differ with that egg content. Uh, So I can't say because I haven't done a side by side where I had one that maybe had two. And then I decided to bump it up to four. How would that change? I assume it would be creamier and thicker, um, but I haven't actually done that test. I think that would be a good test. Um, but I'm happy it, to do that research for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll report back. Okay, yeah, those are great tips. And I'll probably treat myself to that David Labovitz book because it sounds like a good one. He's so lovely too. I just finished listening to him talking to Ed Kimber and they were so cool, cute oh, together. Oh, I need to listen to that. They did a podcast, right? Yeah. 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 It was really nice. Well, let's talk about pastry as well, since your social media handle is <laughs> pastry with Jen <laughs> and your blog is full of unique and beautiful pastries that I'm not sure everyone is familiar with all these pastries. Um, so tell us about some of your favorites, um, things like, Pithivier and Queen Amon and your ruffled milk pie that looks oh, so good. Yes. Amanda and I were just talking about the ruffled milk pie. That is probably my favorite that I've posted. So, and I, I was watching Martha Bakes and saw her make it. And I thought it was so interesting. So let me try to describe it. You take phyllo dough and you do what you normally do with phyllo where you brush it with butter, but then instead of stacking them um, to create layers, you take a sheet and you scrunch it up with your hands. It like kind of like an accordion. And then, so you do that with multiple sheets and you, you take each one and you coil them until you have a giant spiral in a round cake pan. Um, and then once you do that, I think you sprinkle a little bit of cinnamon, you bake it 
until the phyllo is crisp. And then you dump in a custard and then you bake it again. And then the consistency is sort of like cake slash custard. And then the very tops, you'll still have the crunchy bits of the phyllo. So it's really unique. I love the texture and I love the way that it looks. I described it that it looks sort of like a ruffly rose. And my favorite thing about it is the technique is so unique and fun to do. You can't mess it up because, and each rose will be unique. If the, if the phyllo tears a little bit, it gives it character. Um, so that's probably one of my favorite things just because um, it's just so impressive looking and yet it's so easy to do and you can't mess it up. Um, because baking, everyone always, I feel like I always hear it's so intimidating. It looks so pretty. It's too pretty. I don't know how to make that. And this is one of those things that's too pretty, but you can totally make it. Um, yeah. So that's one of my favorites. Um, Pativier. Um, it's definitely something now that's a tradition for me that I make every January. Um, because that's when you start seeing it in patisseries to, to start off the new year, um, which is puff pastry. Um, and inside is frangipan. Typically it's almond. Um, this year I did it a little bit differently. I made it with hazelnuts. So yes. Yum. And I was like, Oh, what should go with hazelnuts? And then I thought chocolate, and then it became sort of like a Nutella-inspired filling. Um, so you take um, a round of puff, you fill it with the filling, and then you put another round on top. And then the obviously the wow moment is when you're, you take a paring knife and you score the top into a pattern. Usually it's um, spiral, so you start from the center and you draw lines outward. Um, but I've also seen where people will do leaf shapes. Um, and it just looks so beautiful when it bakes up and, and all the layers as it puffs on the outside, it, it just looks like a, a beautiful cake that you can cut into wedges. Um, and it becomes this deep, deep golden color, um, with all of the little, the lines, the design on top. So, um, yeah, that is definitely another one of my favorites. I think the other one, that I, I love, um, is not so much a French technique, but the cinnamon swirl slab pie. Um, that one's also really fun to do. And that's where the top of the pie. So it was an apple pie, but then on the top, instead of doing a lattice or just a solid top, you roll out your pie crust then, and then add your cinnamon cinnamon topping, which I think is just butter, cinnamon, sugar, and then you roll it up into a log, chill it, and then slice that. And then you get these lovely spirals and you put the spirals on top and then it has this really cool spiraling um, cinnamon cinnamon bun looking top. That's probably one of my favorites that, as well that I've done. Oh, it sounds so delicious. I need to make all of this right away. <laughs> Well, do you have some off the top of your head secrets or tips for working with um, different types of pastry like shoe, oh, puff gosh. pastry, flaky pastry? Uh, 
I mean, anything off the top of your head since, I mean, you are, you know so much about all this. I think for me, it's, I feel like it's funny. I I don't think I'm really an expert at any of these things, but I love to experiment with different techniques. I, whenever I get the question like, Oh, what is your go-to? That's hard for me because I never want to keep doing the same thing over and over again. I always like to try out new techniques, different and pastries from different cultures. So um, but shoe, that's one of my favorites. Um, the thing with shoe is I am always trying to get that perfect top where it's really round. And this is, I guess, a little bit of a cheese, but kind of a technique that I found from the Bouchon Bakery cookbook is, um, you make this sort of like a cookie and you roll it out, um, and you stamp out little rounds and you place them on top of each puff. And then when you bake it, it crackles. So it looks sort of like Dutch crunch, but that's what keeps it. That helps to keep your cream puff uh, round. So I thought that was really interesting. So smart. And also, doesn't he give you the idea, give the idea that you can put the shoe in a silicone mold and freeze yes. them. Have you tried that? I haven't tried it I yet. I haven't. And the thing for me is I don't love to buy a lot of different pans for different things. I have a really tiny apartment. So <laughs> um, the last thing I wanted was just a specific pan just to make round shoe. So I thought I would just go with free form and I patted down the tips with a little bit of water on my finger, put the, the, um, the cookie top and they, they turned out perfect. Um, but yes, I think if you had the silicone mold, I think it's a half dome. Is it a half dome mold? I think. I think you're right. Pipe them into that. They'll be round. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't used that myself either. Um, cause I'm the same as you. I don't really like specialty equipment unless I'm going to really get into something, but I saw someone recently yeah. on Instagram use it and they did look like they came out in a really beautiful way. Um, so I was intrigued, mm-hmm. but I got the kind of cookie recipe from Dory. Hers has brown sugar in it. Dory Greenspan. See, I, I do the same. I talk about her with her first name. Like she's my buddy. Yeah, Dory. Dory. <laughs> when she was over at my house, of course, hanging out, she shared her recipe. Um, anyway, she, uh, she uses brown sugar. And so I really liked that it gave it the round top and then I felt like added flavor. Like why not? If you have the chance to add that flavor and texture, I thought it was really cool. Anyway, um, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Because one of my the f- favorite pastries to eat, it's, um, it's called a religieuse, which is a double stacked cream puff. So it's a larger cream puff and then you put a smaller one on top. And that's where I was so obsessed with getting smooth shoe because you don't want that top one to fall off or not sit properly on the other cream puff. So that's where I was going into that (laughs) obsession with, I need this to be smooth. So um, that's for shoe. For puff, this is interesting. I love to work with puff. That's probably one of my favorites. And Um, it's such a struggle because I can't make it from scratch, at least not in my own kitchen. And I say that because, and I did a whole paragraph about it when I was posting the Pativier because, you know, I am a baker. And when I say in the recipe, go use store-bought puff, everyone's jokingly shocked. And I was like, wait, no, 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 let me explain. (laughs) 
So <laughs> I 100% think that making your own puff is the way to go. Um, just f- more f- so for flavor um, and, and the texture. Just It's just so much flakier. You really get that butteriness. Um, so the thing with puff is the temperature of where you're working is so crucial. Um, you want to work in a cold environment so that when you're folding the dough, the butter stays cool, but when it's at room, the butter, but you want the butter still be pliable so that you can roll it out and create your folds. The problem is I'm working, my apartment's really warm. So when I'm rolling out the dough, the butter softens too quickly. So it starts to splurt out and and it comes out of the dough. And I've tried to keep going with that. And the problem is because the butter seeps out of the dough, I lose the layers. You don't have the pockets of butter that expand in the oven. And so I get this really flat puff. So I basically gave up (laughs) on making it unless I just need to go into a different kitchen where it's much cooler um, in order to create the puff. Um, so that's, that's my main thing with that. Otherwise, I don't think it's too hard of a technique. You just need to have some time to have the, to rest in between folds. So it's a good weekend afternoon project. Um, just because you have to wait a little bit. Um, and then I guess the other thing that I love to do is yeasted, pastries like Danish croissants, breads. Um, and I'm not really an expert with bread. I feel like bread is one of those things that you can dive into and just spend forever learning about it. It's its own thing. And, but as just kind of a newbie, just making sure that your yeast is fresh. Like it would be so sad if you were doing a whole recipe and then realize that your dough won't rise. Um, so just testing that. And I'm trying to remember, I think you, um, I use instant yeast, uh, typically when I'm baking. And also I keep that in the freezer to extend the shelf life. Um, but I will, it's warm water, dissolve a little bit of sugar in it. And then you add the yeast and you just wait, I think five to 10 minutes and just make sure that it bubbles. Um, so that just making sure that your yeast is still active. I think that's a great tip because, yeah, how sad to go through the whole process and then realize you could have saved some time if you just knew that it was past its life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, okay. Well, both of you guys are kind of in a same general area near San Francisco-ish, and I'm way over here in Atlanta. So I want to live vicariously and hear about some of the best bakeries in San Francisco. Cool. <laughs> I would love to know yours, but for me, um, I I just did a piece for um, Bake From Scratch last year. Um, they asked me to basically tell them what my favorite pastry shops were, and I did sort of a crawl and, and got to tell that story in their magazine. Um, so, and I don't really have like one favorite because you can't pick a favorite child. There's so many. And for me, it depends on my mood and what kind of pastry I want to eat. So usually when people ask me that, I'm like, okay, what kind of pastry do you like? So 
if I'm if I'm craving a Queen Amon or something more French, I would say be patisserie for sure. Probably has the best Queen Amon that I've ever had in the country. Um, and hers are a little bit different than any of the others I've seen before. It's a lot, um, it's a bit sweeter and it's not quite as compact and caramelized. And I like that. Um, and she is known for also doing versions with different fillings. Like she'll put chocolate ganache in it. She'll often have a seasonal jam. Um, she created national queen Amon day in June and I love her for <laughs> it. Um, sorry, I'm talking about Belinda Leong, the pastry chef. Um, but so, but you know what? It's so good. Just plain because in the middle, there's like this stickiness, the sweet stickiness that I love and kind of gets masked if you have the filling. So I always tell people to get plain. Um, so that's for queen Amon. Um, I also love craftsman and wolves. Pastry chef is Will Werner. And for him, it's just his, he has such a specific style. He's so modern and his stuff is so beautiful. It's, it's like art. So I'm always just looking forward to what new art piece he has that season. He changes things seasonally. Um, and whenever I look at his stuff, the only time I've ever seen things that look like that are when I'm in Paris. So he really kind of sets the trend, I feel like, in the States with the stuff that he makes. Um, he's known for the Rebel Within. Have you guys ever had it or do you guys know about it? It's with the... It's the muffin, the savory muffin with the um, the egg inside. So when you cut into it, the yolk oozes out. Oh, my God. No. So that's Oh, no. Really? Oh, my gosh. That's like his Instagrammable thing. Oh, my God. Thing. I hate it. Um, and so, uh, yes. I always tell people, yes, go get it. But I immediately go to the cold case and I just look at what's new and what's different because th that's what's exciting to me. Um, so Craftsman and Wolves, um, and then Jane, the bakery is, is not as well known. I think it's more of a city bakery, but it's one of my favorite places. It's about a year old and, um, they just do so much. They're so good with brioches and laminated doughs. And the, one of the things that I love, and I don't know, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember what it, it's called a Meyer lemon um, poppy seed twist and they take the dough and they twist it and then they quail it. And then you just get all these great, it's all speckled because of all the poppy seeds and you get this great lemon flavor. Um, I love it. They even, and they do things like lattice brioche buns. Again, it's kind of that Dutch crunch idea, but instead, um, they, I think they use a lattice cutter. So it creates this beautiful, like honeycomb kind of effect on top of their buns. They just do a lot of innovative things. Um, so Jane, the bakery. And then the other thing, when I was doing that piece, they're like, Oh, tell me a little bit, something a bit unique to San Francisco, maybe a little bit about you and your culture. So I picked, um, Golden Gate Bakery. Um, in Chinatown. Um, and they're known for their egg custard tarts. So it's just this super, super thin crust that barely holds together the custard, barely holds in the custard in the middle. So it's really all about this eggy custard. And it's so good. And people line up for it. I mean, on average, I will wait 30 to 40 minutes. That's just normal. Um, because they're making them fresh. Um, 
So when you get it, it's piping hot, like almost too hot. You can barely touch it, which is so great. Um, so that's another one of my it just like San Francisco specific spots that I love to go to. Now I'm ready to hop on a plane and and uh, <laughs> eat my way around the city. <laughs> I'll take you on a little bakery crawl when you're here. I love this part <laughs> of the bakery crawl, and yes, I will take you up on it at some point. I'm going to pop up on your doorstep, and we're going to do this. Oh, I'm coming too. You can't get rid of me. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm curious. Okay. So the egg tarts that Jen's talking about, Jeremiah, do you know, are they similar to the Portuguese egg tarts? Are they the same? Are they different? Like what, what can we, what can you guys tell me about that? Uh, My understanding? Yes. Um, Well, it depends on the type, but yeah, the Portugal brought them to Macau, which was a Portuguese territory until the nineties. Um, and then that influenced the, um, the tarts there as well. So, but I've seen some that either have also the flaky, like a puff pastry base, and then some that have more of a short pastry base. And then the custard can vary in, um, its ratios of, of eggs and sugar, whatnot. But yeah, definitely it's a huge, um, similarity to the, the Portuguese version. What about you, Jen? Do you know anything about that? I, I don't think I've ever had a Portuguese tart. Really? No. Jeremiah, yeah, that's where really? they came from. <laughs> Can you fix this? You need to fix this, like, immediately. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. Uh, I know you mentioned, and I was trying to listen to, you were saying the difference between on the crust. This, The egg custard tart is more of, like, a flaky puff pastry. Yeah. Not, that, yeah. Yeah. That's, like, the Portuguese version. Oh, Okay. Yeah, it's huh? and it has little black, almost the burnt spots on top. There are no burnt spots on top. Okay, so that's... it's completely yeah. So some do, some don't. Yeah, it just depends because Hong Kong has a different style as well, but they all trace their their lineage back to Portugal. I'll have to take. I'll have to do a test. I wonder where you can get them in the city. I'll have to look at that. Um, for the Portuguese version, I don't. Oh, at Uma Casa, it's a new Portuguese restaurant in Noi Valley. Uh huh. Um, they do them for dessert, which is Ooh. you can get them there. Okay, I'll have to try that. And then I'm going to be doing a pop up soon at that restaurant in San Francisco. What? So yes, I haven't actually told anyone. So because um, it's it's this all the just first be- yeah. Late breaking news. Oh my gosh, I'm exclusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yes, I- okay, that will be my first time then that I'll taste them. I will wait until you have your pop up. <laughs> oh gosh, the pressure <laughs> is on. Yes, that'd be good. <laughs> So we know that you've been at the Charleston Wine and Food, and I have family there, and I love going there. Can you tell us how that experience was? It is so fun. I It was my first time ever being in the South, so I didn't know what to expect. Um, I love Charleston. It feels like a little town. I was, And I've been trying to talk to locals. They're like, oh, everyone drives everywhere. I was like, really? I, I was so excited to be in a different place. And I love all the candy-colored buildings. I tried to walk everywhere. I was like walking 15, 20, 25 minutes everywhere, just getting lost in the streets because it's so beautiful. Um, and it just feels so cozy and it's charming. And, and I kind of fell in love with just the way that the town was. Um, I love the food there. I mean, but I also was eating <laughs> shrimp and grits, biscuits, fried chicken, and burgers the whole time. 
<laughs> and is that the normal thing? Because I, I was like, I at the end, I just really needed a green juice. <laughs> Maybe that's very San Francisco of me. But and I, <laughs> I was just, I was like, oh my god, I think I overdid it. But everything tasted amazing. I had the best shrimp and grits at Hominy Grill. Obviously, we talked about Cali's biscuits, which were amazing too. Um, everyone is so nice too. I went to, um, it was Little Jack's Tavern. Everyone told me that that was the best place to get the, a burger. I just rolled up to the bar because Charleston Wine and Food, the festival is crazy. Um, I We have, Williams-Sonoma had a stage there. So I spent most of my time there just going, like just w- covering demo to, from demo to demo. And I just forgot to eat. So I think... Uh, after one of the days after it was like the longest day from like nine to five, I hadn't eaten. The only thing I eaten was there was some chef in the festival who made kangaroo. And I was like, if I'm going to try kangaroo, it's today. (laughs) It was actually really good. It's someone's like, is it gamey? It's not gamey. The heat, it was prepared really well. It came with like ramen noodles. It was delicious. That was all I had all day. Went to Little Jack's Tavern, sat at the bar by myself, just sat there, said, hi, I want a tavern burger. And it was so good. And I just started talking to all these locals sitting around me and they were so nice. They asked me about me. I asked them about them. Where were their favorite places? Why they love Charleston? And it was just so great. I I love the town. Oh, I'm so happy you enjoyed it because it is really, really special. It sounds like a cool experience and to, you know, being from the South to kind of answer any musings about, do we eat like that all the time? Do you? Sort of. <laughs> I mean, you know, I not completely. I make a concerted <laughs> effort to get vegetables in the diet, but I remember like when Jeremiah and I were in England and like everybody in our group was eating, we were eating a lot of pub food and everybody kept commenting how rich it was. I was like, really? It seems kind of normal to me. So oh my gosh. I think, yeah, I mean, I think you just, it, it like, I would say our, our cultural foods tend to be that way, but certainly, you know, in the morning, I don't get up every day and have shrimp and grits brunch. I'll have like a bowl of (laughs) yogurt with muesli, like really boring things like that. But, um, if we're eating, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the food. You know what? (laughs) I guess I, I, in my own way kind of do that, but more with the pastries. And I say that because I feel like I'm surrounded by pastries so much and so often that in general, I just tend to eat really plain to kind of offset that. (laughs) So I'm like, I mean, I could eat breakfast all day, but like for me, like I can just do scrambled eggs and toast or avocado toast, like so plain. Um, Just because I, I just love to try pastry so much. That's probably where I get all of my richness and creaminess and good stuff. So <laughs> maybe that's how I do it here. <laughs> it's all about the balance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we could absolutely keep you all day, but before we let you go, we have one last classic flower hour question. Um, so you may know uh-huh. it's coming, but if you could bake for anyone dead or alive, who would you bake for and what would you make? Oh my God. Not prepared for this question. Oh, I thought your answer was God for a second. Oh my God. Um, okay. 
I'm going to I'm going to cheat and say I don't know if I want to bake for someone, but could I bake with someone? Like I feel like baking for someone would make me so nervous. I think that's a lot. Um, I'm cool with that. Are you cool right? with that, Jeremiah? And I feel like <laughs> it would be more fun to bake with somebody. So I'm just okay. If I had to bake with someone, really, oh, I mean, how many people am I allowed to pick? <laughs> <laughs> one three five um, I'm, I'm like i want to be super tough and be like one who's the first one. like one. what is the word in your mouth the name on your tongue okay well right now the person that i've been wanting to meet and i haven't had a chance to meet is dory greenspan um she came to san francisco when she was promoting her cookies book. And I think she had three events in the city. And for some reason I couldn't make it to any of them, but she just seems so lovable and lovely. And I just want to make cookies with her all day long. And, and I want to run around in Paris with her and eat pastries. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Perfect answer. I love it. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's just been such a joy. It was so fun. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And I loved all the tips that you shared. I think it'll be a great thing for everybody to listen to. And one, I'll have to listen to back and take more notes as well. <laughs> I know. I feel like just talking to you guys, like I learned so much. I get so inspired. Um, it's so fun. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Jen. sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.